0: I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Um, For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're making our way through the book of Acts, and we're just preaching on what's next in the passage. Admittedly, uh, our text for this morning isn't one that you would probably choose if you could pick any passage for a baptism Sunday. Um, But I also just trust God's timing. This is what's next in the sermon. And so today we're talking about leaders in the church. And as I thought about what we've seen already, I thought, you know, there's a clear tie with, with what we've already witnessed in the service. Just think about how much we love Crystal and Jonathan. You know, after a, a morning like this, each one of us feels like, unless you're heartless, each one of us feels like, man, I'd go to, I'd go to war for them. Like, I'd go to bat for them. I want to see them succeed. I want to see them grow. I want to see them thrive. We feel that inside of ourselves, Right. Well, remember the Apostle Paul was ministering all around this Mediterranean world and he was seeing all kinds of, of new believers like this and he's watching them begin. Their eyes are open in the faith journey and some of them coming out of Judaism where they're like steeped in the scriptures. Some of them steeped in paganism and idolatry and worshiping idols and, and books of mag- magic on the shelf. And, and Paul is watching as Jesus is changing their hearts and lives and he loves these people. He absolutely loves these people. And so last Sunday, we saw the Holy Spirit is compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem. And so Paul, he can't resist it. He has to go. But before he left, he took this, like, long, arduous route so that he could meet with all these new believers and these new churches and encourage them and make sure that they were well-resourced, well-equipped to endure. And, and now we find him, and he's in Miletus, and he's about to go, and he's about to set sail But he realizes before he leaves, he's got to do one more thing. And so he calls for the elders in Ephesus to come to him. And if you're here and you don't know what an elder is, um, we're not talking about, you know, older people. Uh, In the Bible, elders are an office in the church. Um, You might know it, if if you've never kind of been a part of this, you might know it as pastor. A pastor is an elder. These terms are synonymous in the Bible. Pastor, elder, overseer. Um, we sometimes use the language of shepherd. We're talking about one group here. So, for example, in Redeemer, that we've got five elders serving here. You've got myself, and you've got Harry Sawatsky. Many of you met him out greeting you at the door. Ron Aiken, who just prayed for us. Keith Giffen, who we just prayed for. He's sick. And Josh Allen, who is somewhere here, um, right over here, who he was setting up chairs for us this morning. So we've got, when we say elder, that's what we're referring to, uh, an officer in the church. And Paul says, "Send me the elders from Ephesus." So the, that group, but from Ephesus, bring them here. Now, just so you know, Miletus, they didn't live in a time of, of cars, right? So Miletus is a three days journey. So Paul, who's being compelled by the spirit to rush to Jerusalem, he's about to set sail and he says, wait, I want you to go on a three day journey and I want you to get the Ephesian elders and bring them back on a three day journey because I need to look them in the eye and I need, to, I need to make sure that they realize that I'm now passing them the baton of leadership. All of those new believers that we love, all those new believers that we want to see thriving and flourishing and, and walking faithfully and protected from outside things, I, I want to make sure that they're protected. And here's the tool that God has put in place, humanly speaking, to protect them. It's elders, which feels very ordinary, unless you are an elder, in which case it feels very horrifying. But Paul says, no, I, I want to look these men in the eyes and I want to make sure that they understand this responsibility that They're being entrusted with. So that's what we have in front of us. So with that in your mind, look with me now to Acts chapter 20. We're going to read from verse 17 all the way to the end of the chapter. This is a longer passage. Here now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two challenges we face today. Uh, One challenge is simply the fact that this is a large passage and we have a narrow bandwidth. Thank you, Twitter, right? We, are, we have a hard time focusing on big things. So if I could encourage you today, even though it feels big, it's actually, we can narrow this down. Paul gathers the elders together and he gives them instructions and his charge to them is right at the center of this in verses 25 to 31. And you can break it into three parts. He tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves, pay careful attention to all the flock, and stay alert to dangers from without and from within. So that's what this is all about. And then before that charge and after that charge, he sandwiches it with his example. So maybe you're wondering, well, what does that even look like to pay attention to myself and to the flock and to, to be alert? And, and Paul's like, okay, let me show you what it looks like. And he, so before and after, he says, look at my life. Look at the way that I served this church. Watch me, remember me, and do likewise. So really, even though it's a big passage, we can summarize it into those, those three pieces in that charge to the elders. So that's the first challenge is that it's long, but we can overcome that. The second challenge is a bit more challenging, and that is that we just don't like leaders. Because this passage is built on this kind of presupposition that elders in the church serve a good purpose, that it's a, it's a good thing. In Ephesians 4, um, Paul uses the language that leaders are actually a gift to the church. But let's be honest, in our flesh, we have a hard time with language like that. A lot of us do. We have a hard time you know, for a couple. Of, part of it, we have a hard time just because of our own sin, because of our pride. We don't like leaders. We don't want people speaking over us and speaking into us. And we we want to be our own boss. So that's part of it. But then, if we're honest, there's another part of it too, which is that we've seen a lot of people call themselves leaders who have absolutely failed and have and have hurt the church and have hurt us. And so it's hard for us to entrust ourselves to someone when in our own experience, it's those people that you need the most protection from. And all of that makes this really difficult to sit under. Long and confusing, but then also there's a part of me that says, do I even believe this to be true? And so if that's you, I just want to challenge you today. This is the word of God to us. So if there's a part of you that bristles and says, no, I don't believe this, I reject this, I just want to be clear. This is God speaking to you. And so even though you've seen this thing called leadership, even though you've seen it abused and misused, and, and it, that happens. In fact, Paul warns against it here. So even though you've seen that happen, can I remind you that when it's working correctly, it is a gift for the church. It is for your good. That God put this in place because he loves new believers. Because he loves you. He values you and he wants to protect you. So those are the obstacles we need to overcome as we hear this. Um, But that being said, I believe that with God, all obstacles can be overcome, and my prayer is that by his spirit, he would just help us to hear what we need to hear today, which is a charge to the elders, a charge to the elders. Now, as I look out across this room, I I mentioned kind of the five elders here at Redeemer. We have some visitors, maybe you're visiting and you're an elder in in another church, but I'm going to assume that most of us in this room are not serving as elders in a church. And you might be tempted to think, well, great, what am I supposed to do now for the next 35 minutes? Like, what, is this for, that's fair. I can see you thinking that. And, and maybe you'd say, well, I guess what I could do is I could just try to draw out kind of generalized leadership principles, right? You know, because I lead in my home and I'm leading in my workplace and in evangelism. And, and listen, I hope that you can find some generalized leadership principles. And if, if you find one and you can use that, then bless you, use that. But then I also want to let you know, unapologetically off the top, that this passage isn't a passage about generalized leadership principles. This passage is about elders in the church. This is here because we need it. And so my prayer for you, if that's you and you say, I'm not an elder, I don't aspire to be an elder, that what I want you to hear today is a couple things. I want you to hear that God loves you and that he's put a system in place to care for you and nurture you. That he, and that he's, he is committed to that system. He's committed to this process of, of a church with elders That he put, and when it makes you angry when that doesn't work, you you best believe it makes him angrier, right? He put this here because he loves you. And I want to encourage you as you listen to this to be inspired to pray for your elders. I, I listed those five men. Pray for us as you listen to this, and maybe you listen to this and you think of man, I could think of three ways that they fall short. Pray for us. We want to do this well by God's grace. We need to do this well because. According to the Apostle Paul, he seems to be suggesting that as the leaders go, so goes the church. So if the leaders go off the ledge, it's going to, the church is going to be ruined. We've seen this in church history, and if we're honest, we've seen this in our own lives. Like We, we know too many people who have tragic stories of how leaders in the church just blew up, and everybody in the church suffered. So let's, let's pray for this as we listen. Let it fuel the way that we pray. And let's pray that God would raise up elders in the future, in the years and years ahead. To lead the people well and care for the flock of God. So in light of that, Paul gives three instructions to these men. That's our outline today. Just three points. Ready? First, in verse 28, he looks them in the eye and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. That's where leadership begins. You Watch your life. Your life matters. If you would lead in the church of God, your integrity matters. What you do when nobody's looking, it matters. You watch your life closely. Similarly, when Paul wrote to Timothy, young Timothy, do you remember what church Timothy was serving in? Anybody know? Ephesus. So when Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy, he's writing to a leader in this same church. And what did he say to Timothy? He said the same thing. He said, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Why? For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He says, you watch your life because if your life goes sideways, you hurt people. Leadership in the church is not simply about teaching the right doctrine. Listen, it's not not that. Like, we need to teach the right doctrine. You need to have the answers to the questions or at least to be able to go to the place where you can find those answers. But it's about more than that. The doctrine that you teach matters, but the doctrine that you live matters too. And he says, you got to make sure that you're living right. If you stop paying attention to yourself if you stop watching your life for holiness, then you're going to drift into that style of leadership that you hate and that everyone hates. The style of leadership that says one thing but lives something else. And when you start living that way, you ruin people's lives. Here's a general leadership principle. Parents, when we raise our kids that way, we ruin people. If, If we're just, if we say one thing, but we're living something entirely different and we make that our style of leadership, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I can say it, hates that leadership. I know that because that's the leadership the Pharisees were living. You remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So you're leading people into ruin. You're the blind leading the blind. Jesus hated that. Because it's, it's pretending. It's playing a part. It hurts people. And so, I just would say to myself and to the elders in this church and any elders here who might be visiting with us, we just need to ask the question, is our heart right? Is our doctrine right? Is our marriage right? Parenting, is that right? We love in the church, right? Our habits, right? Our private life. We have to, if we're not watching that, then we're, we're disqualified. Pay careful attention to your life. And now you might ask, well, what does that look like? And, and again, so Paul has got this, he made this little sandwich. There's a command sandwich and he points to the examples of his own life. And if we look at verses 18 to 19, he tells us, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia. This is my consistent pattern. He says, I was serving the Lord with all humility. He says, you know I, was, I walked with humility. And if you wonder, well, what does that even look like to walk with humility? When he writes to the Philippians, he gives us a, a working definition. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's what humility looks like, and according to Paul, that's what leadership looks like. Counting others is more significant than yourself. Putting their needs before your own needs, that's the job. Pouring yourself out again and again so that you can fill others up. And it's exhausting if you're doing it right, but it's it's wonderful. It's the job. You know... Elsewhere, when, when Paul writes to Timothy and he gives him the qualifications for an elder, one of the big pieces is, is look at the way they're living in their own home. And he, he ties this dot between like the way that we parent our children and says, you, look at the way they do that before you put somebody up in the church. Because isn't this very much what parenting is? Pour yourself out so that you build them up. Every parent in the room can nod along and say, yeah, that's what I aspire to as a parent. I want to be like that. Paul's saying, as you serve in the church, these aren't your children. But take that same principle and and let that overflow. Just give of yourself again and again and again so that people can grow. This other-centeredness carries over into every facet of life. So Paul points to his wallet in verses 33 to 35. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I wasn't looking around saying, I want this, I want that. He says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, you know I wasn't doing this for money, church. Like, you know this. When I was living with you, I wasn't walking around sizing up how, oh, how nice your house is and how nice your, did you guys notice that I don't have a house I'm renting? I never did that, ever. And when I needed things, I went to work and I used these hands and I made tents and I sold them and so, that I could, so that I could share. And he's saying, because leadership in the church, it's not like leadership in a big business, corporation. You don't want to advance up to leadership so that you can get the six-figure salary. Does the leader, you lead in the church so that you can serve. It's never been about money, which is why one of the all other qualifications for elders is that they should not be greedy for gain, that you should watch, you shouldn't bring men on in leadership who, who care only about money. This is not about money. This is awkward because you pay me money. I'm feeling that right now. I'm like, well, you're probably wondering, well, what do we do with that? Now elsewhere, Paul says, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So when when he writes to Timothy, again in Ephesus, Paul says, hey, there is a time to pay the people who are giving of themselves to teach you. So that's why I'm here today. But he says, but listen, if you've got a teacher, if you've got an elder in your church, and they're doing this just for the money, like this is just a job and they're just trying to profit themselves off of you, that they see you as something they can kind of leech off of so that they can advance themselves up, disqualified. That's not what leadership in the church looks like. It's not. We're givers, not takers. That's, whenever I read these, that's the phrase that comes to my mind. It's like, what is, what is God calling us to? He's calling us to be givers, not takers. When you go to counsel that person, you don't go into that meeting even Maybe you're going in feeling pretty empty. I've had a bunch of those meetings. But you don't go into that meeting thinking, how can, I, how can this person fill my tank? You go into that meeting saying, how can I give them everything I've got? Right? And a lot of times they fill your tank, which is great. But if they don't, that's not their job. Right? You're a giver, not a taker. That's what leadership is supposed to look like in the church. That's what Jesus commended when he said to his disciples, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the template. Jesus taught that. Then Jesus lived that out to the fullest, went to the cross, and was a giver, not a taker. Right? Just gave of himself completely and entirely so as to build us up. The Apostle Paul then sees that model, hears that teaching, and he lives that out in his ministry, and people stone him and leave him for dead, but he keeps moving and he keeps pressing forward to build up the church, and then he looks at these elders, these ordinary guys, guys like, like the elders here at this church, and he says, this is the bar, this is the standard. You pay careful attention to yourselves. Sobering. Before you step into leadership, you, you have to take a, a long, hard, honest look in the mirror. And you need to deal faithfully with what you see there. Now, the, the call is not to be perfect. Because, listen, none of us are perfect. We fall so far from perfect. Writing this sermon has been such a terrible experience because I'm mindful of how, how far short I fall from the example that Jesus said and even the example that Paul said and the example that I, I want to attain to. Not perfect. None of our elders are. But the call is for us to be faithful, godly men who are growing in our walk with the Lord, such that we can say with the Apostle Paul, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Second, having called these elders to pay attention to themselves, he goes on to say in verse 28, pay careful attention to all the flock. So he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Maybe I'll just pause here and step away from what I was going to say. Because, again, I'm mindful that the foremen in the room are elders, and you're probably feeling crushed right now. If I could just remind you, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So, of course, we've got, a, we've got lots of human means that go into that, a nominating committee, and the congregation is going to vote, and all of that whole screening process, of course. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that appoints leaders in the church. And so hear that. If you're sitting there feeling like a worm and thinking, like, who am I? Who am I? Gonna? Did I weasel my way into this? No, you didn't weasel your way into this, right? You were called. And and, and the church voted and they prayed for you and they put you here. And that was because we were led by the Spirit to put you in this role. And so you are where you are because God has placed you there. And now, having been placed there and having taken a long, hard, honest look at yourself in the mirror, now the call is to put the mirror down and to take a long, hard, honest look at the congregation and to deal honestly with what you see there, too. How is the church doing? Are they healthy? Where are they sick? Are are there is there bad teaching that's creeping in from somewhere? Like where are they weak? Where are they vulnerable? What are the sins that just seem to flare up all the time? Where are they strong? Find those strengths and. and because Paul says in Ephesians 4 that the job of, of leaders in the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So find those strengths and just help to mobilize them to do the things that God has made them to do. Again, that's your job. In order to do that, you need to know the sheep. The sheep, the flock, the people, the church. Just to be clear, like elders are sheep too. So if you feel like that's a derogatory term, that's Jesus says we're sheep, so I'm in it too. If you're offended, let me be offended with you. So elders are sheep too. But the Bible uses a language uh, for eldership. It uses the language of pastor. That's a shepherd word. Right? That's why he uses this language of shepherding because shepherds had to walk around. They had to know the flock. And Paul says, that's like your job. You've got to know the people. Know them. Know where they're weak, where they're strong. It is a joy. It's a joy to help people flourish. But it's, it is a heavy responsibility. And anyone who served in that kind of leadership capacity feels it. And if you look at this passage, you catch just a glimpse of how weighty it is. Look again at verse 28. I'm going to read the whole thing this time. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Who who is this church? Which he obtained with his own blood. I find that to be one of the most sobering verses in all of the Bible. I have it posted over my desk. Return to it often. I tremble at this verse. And any elder worth their salt should tremble at this verse. So, I don't like to borrow expensive things from my friends. I don't. If you're here, you've ever lent me your car, I hated the whole time I had your car. I don't want to drive your car. I love babies. I don't want to hold your baby. Like, I'm, I'm clumsy. I, like, I love babies. But to have this thing so precious, so valuable, so incredible... And, and for you to entrust this to me, and do you, like, do you know how clumsy I am? Like, so many things can go wrong. I'm, a, I'm not a good driver. I'm not. So many things can go wrong. This is your special thing, not my special thing. Look at how many dents are in my van. Like, I don't like to borrow expensive things. What then could be more frightening than what we read in this verse? Elders have been entrusted to care for the church. The, these precious people, that are loved by God, these people that that Jesus bled and died to save, purchased us out. He's using that language of like purchasing out of, of death, of slavery to sin, bought us, redeemed us, made us his own, called us children. And here Paul is looking at the elders. He says, and you know what your responsibility is? It's to care for these people that God purchased with his blood. That's your job. And he takes this like full week-long break. He says, you sent from Miletus to Ephesus, you bring them back because I want to look them in the eyes while I tell them this. This is your responsibility now. I'm leaving. You're not going to see me again. Here's the baton. It's on you. Humanly speaking, it's on you. I read that and I just, I can't comprehend where to even begin. That is what the Bible says to elders in the church. And again, what does it look like? It's so like, okay, so there's this like huge overarching command, but what does it look like? Well, we go back to the sandwich and Paul says, look at my example, look at my life. And you know what's interesting? When we look at, you know, how he lived this out, all of the examples that Paul fleshes out just include this. It's all about, you know, just living life faithfully in front of people and opening God's word faithfully with the people. So look at, for example, verse 20. He says, consider me, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. You know, if you look back at verse 19, he just talked about how he was like weeping with them. He was weak with them. It's just because he had been persecuted. He, he's like, I came. You remember, they threw rocks at me and beat me up and whipped me for telling the truth. But then I came to you. And even though I still had these wounds on my back from the last time I told the truth, I opened the word and I held nothing back from you, knowing full well that you might throw rocks at me too. I preached the whole thing. I didn't skip the parts that you didn't want to hear. I didn't brush over them. When you saw the thing and you wanted to kind of wiggle out of it and be like, well, that's not for me. No, like I pressed you back in and I said, no, this is God's word for you. That's what it looks like. Now, of course, in our own context, none of our elders are in danger, I hope, of being stoned or whipped with sticks. In, part, in some parts of the world, That's not a joke. In some parts of the world, they are facing that danger. But here, that's not the danger. Here, the danger is that for us as elders, we are going to see things in your life that require a hard conversation and everything in our flesh is going to say, don't have that conversation. Like, if we know the church, if we're doing the shepherd thing and you're walking in and amongst the people and you know them, you turn to a passage, you know, oh man, they don't want to hear this. But this is what's next. And so, what do you do? The temptation is to just skip it or, or mute it. Or just soften off all the hard edges of it. But no, Paul says, you, if you're going to be faithful in this, you, you give them the whole thing. You give them the whole counsel of God's word. The parts that they love, the parts that just our culture has no problem with, and, and the parts that they hate and the parts that their flesh comes up against and that they just resist. The things that are going to cause them to lash out at you potentially throw rocks at you, hit you with a stick. You tell them everything, he says. And then in verse 21, verse 20 and 21, Paul points back to his example and he says, you remember how I was teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. And here again, so if before he was talking about how comprehensive the teaching was that he didn't skip anything. Here he's saying it was comprehensive in that he taught everywhere. It's like when I left the pulpit, it's not like I closed my Bible and you never heard from God's word again. If we were having coffee, we're talking about God's word. If we're going for a walk, we're talking about Jesus. If we're, if we're going and we're working in the shop, I'm talking about him. You have me over for dinner, guess what we're gonna be talking about? It's like, I told you everywhere. I, didn't, I never turned this off, it's not a day job. And then he says, I told everyone. I told those who were converted out of Judaism, those who, who understood the Old Testament and who've got the well-versed in the scriptures, I taught them. But that doesn't mean that I'm above teaching the brand new pagan believers, the ones who, they had never heard any of this, and we're starting from scratch, and we're doing the ABCs of the faith. I taught them too. Because as an elder, it's not as if any of these assignments are beneath me. And as we bring in elders, that's important for us to recognize. We want to find the kind of men who, are, who don't see teaching the kids' ministry as something that's beneath them. Right? Like, well, I, I don't want to do that, then I wouldn't get to be fed myself. We want to find elders who are like, I want want to teach anyone and everyone. The little ones, the big ones, and everything in between. I I want to open God's word and share it with them. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. He says to these elders in Ephesus, this is your responsibility now. God loves his church. Paid the greatest price to redeem these people. Even the ones who aren't nice to you bought with the blood of Jesus. And that's just the reality. Like Sometimes this is going to be tough. Sometimes people don't like you. The nature of it. And sometimes people, they they get bothered with you or they have an expectation of you that you can't meet or whatever it is, Jesus paid for them with his blood. You love them. You lead them. That's the assignment. Now, pay careful attention to all the flock. Those are the first two commands. Pay careful attention yourself to all the flock. And now we come to the last command as we bring it in for a close. He calls upon these elders to stay alert to dangers from without and dangers from within. Verses 29 to 31 say, I know, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So here he goes back to that shepherd language. And he's using language here that we're kind of a step removed from. I don't imagine there are many shepherds in the room. It's possible. Doubt it. But when he said this to the Ephesians, like these, these men are very familiar with the imagery. This isn't just metaphorical right there. They know what it's like when a wolf gets into the sheep pen. That's a, it's a bloody massacre. Right, this is horrific. They've, they know what it's like when a wolf is able to sink his teeth into a sheep and flings it across the pen. It's a big deal. And Paul is using this dramatic imagery for a reason. Because when spiritual wolves sneak into the church, people die. Now not physically, of course, but spiritually. And, and that's scarier. Right? When spiritual wolves are allowed to creep into the church, they lead people to hell. Those wolves can come from within, Paul says. Meaning, he looks at the elders He says, those wolves, it might be you elders? That's what he tells them. That's why he leans so hard and to pay careful attention to yourselves. It's like you watch yourself because if you're not careful it just might be that you're the wolf that leads people into ruin. Which is as a church why we have these systems in place. Is why we've got things like this the nominating committee and why our elders have to we bring them up to share their testimony and tell you with with months in advance hey this brother's going to be voted on as an elder. Get to know him. You know, ask them some questions. We're not trying to sneak anybody by you or squeeze anything past you, and then we vote as a congregation. We've got these processes, and then we've got the, the term limits so that if somebody did sneak past us, we've got a way to get them out. These, these things are in place just to recognize the fact that sometimes wolves do get into the sheep pen. So you've got to watch for wolves from within, but then he says also you've got to watch for wolves from without. Sometimes people come into the church and they're wolves. And that's complicated because it's not like we can lock the doors. Like, hey, I love all of you. This is cozy. What if we just locked the doors and said, no more? Like, leading this group is going to be enough work and loving one another is going to be enough of a task and unity, whoo. Like, this is enough for us to focus a lifetime of work on. But then next week, we're going to unlock the doors and boom, more people come in. And so what do you do? Scary thing about wolves is that none of them come in with a name tag that says, hello, my name is Wolf, right? Nobody's nobody's ever kind of come up and, shaking my hand at the start of the service and said, I'm about to flip this place upside down. Actually, (laughs) maybe once, but people, by and large, by and large, that's not what a wolf's going to do. Honestly, I I think by and large, most spiritual wolves don't even recognize themselves as wolves. And that's frightening too. And, And so they don't come in with an overt assault. They come in and it's subtle and it's smooth and it's smiling and it's undermining and it's not standing up and saying, "I'm going to rip this church in half." It's going around behind the scenes and, and saying, "Did God really say?" You know, I know that's what I know that's what the pastor said. But like, let's be honest: Have you read this book? Did, did God really say? And, and starting little little groups behind the scenes and, and spiritual wolves don't want to be led; they want to lead, and so they will lead, and they don't want to be held accountable, and they don't want anybody ever ever addressing them and trying to know they're going to lash out or they're going to hide. And it's a real thing. It happens in churches. What do you do? I confess that I find this to be the hardest and the most emotionally taxing aspect of eldering. Like, if you know me at all, I, I'm a people person. I really love people and I like to assume the best of people all the time. But this piece right here frightens me. Not in a... Not in a, a bad way, but in a sobering way, right? I know God's in control, but I also know that he's given this responsibility to us as elders. And sometimes that it can be hard. To, let me just give you an example. Imagine, you know, it's your responsibility. How do you discern the difference between a, a struggling sheep who has this kind of sin of, a, of legalism and they just kind of, they gravitate this way where they just, they want to control everything. They want to put structures in place. And it's like, I know that I'm saved because Jesus died for my sin, but also it, we should, everything should be, look exactly like this. And, and then they're there's really hard on themselves. And then of course they're then hard on other people. And they can be pretty judgmental when other people make mistakes. And, and they're just a weak sheep. But how, how is that person different from the wolf who's preaching a false gospel, a gospel of works, a gospel that says, yeah, you know, Jesus died for our sins, of course, but you'd better fit in this box. you better dress this way, look this way, sing this way, behave this way. Do, do what I want you to do. And they, this controlling impulse. Both of those people have the same controlling impulse. In one of them, it's weakness. In one of them, it's, it's going to ruin the flock. Which is which? Well, it's complicated, isn't it? Or a different example. How do you tell the difference between a person who, if they're a Christian, they're just a weak sheep. They struggle with the sin of gossip. And their, their mouth is just always running. Always running. Telling everybody about everybody else's sin and causing problems and here and there. And here's what I don't like about the church and what I don't like about her and what I don't like about you. And and it's just constant. But that's just, their, that's the sin they struggle with. But then over here, you've got a wolf who is going behind the scenes and talking, undermining the leadership and trying to sow distrust and trying to break up this friend group and trying to break it and trying to split the church in half. They look like the same person. And so I'm not exaggerating when I say there have been many nights where I'm lying in bed trying to discern, is this, a, is this like a weak sheep or is this a wolf? What's, because if it's a weak sheep, then I want to make sure that I don't come in too firm because I don't, want them to, I don't want them to receive bad leadership from us and then to have a bad idea of you. But if it's a wolf, I don't want to be too slow because the wolf eats sheep And this wolf might ruin a lot of people's lives and might break this church in half. And which is which? And who is sufficient for these things? And Paul looks at these elders in Ephesus and he says, that is your responsibility. That's your responsibility. Of course, filled with the Holy Spirit. God working in and through you. But this is your assignment. And how do we live this out? Again, where do you even begin? So now some elders in the room are saying, what do we do with that? Uh, Well, once again, if we look back at the example that Paul set for us, The example is this. It's like, how did he fight against these these wolves? How did he keep the church moving forward? In verses 26 to 27, he says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. So here's a man, he's not being kept up by his conscience. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Think about what he's saying there. He's, He's saying, I am not guilty for that blood. Because I told you everything and I held nothing back. Think about the flip side of that. Saying, if I had shrunk from telling you what you needed to hear, if I had held something back, I would be guilty. I I would be guilty. There would be blood on my hands. If I dodged that hard conversation and I didn't say that. But he says, no, I opened the word. I told you everything. Therefore, I I am innocent and I can sleep. (laughs) That's the primary way that elders protect the church. And now if I could just speak to those of you who have been hurt by leaders in the past. I want you to hear this. And every leader in the room or would-be leader in the room, hear this. This is the tool that God gave us. The word of God. This. Not coercion. Not intimidation. not, Not threats and manipulation. The word of God. Paul says, this is how I did it. I opened the word of God and I told you all of it. And, and some people are going to choose to run off the ledge even though I've told them the truth and that's on them. And some people are going to say, forget this, I don't want this, I'm going to go over here. That's on them. It says, But your job, leaders, is to open the word of God and to tell them everything which is why the qualifications for elders is not that they would be you know, profoundly successful businessmen or have a, have a hyper-charismatic personality and be able to draw a crowd. It's just that they would be faithful, godly men who can handle the word of God. That's it. That's what we need. So leave all your power and your flexing and your intimidation behind you. That's not what leadership looks like in the church. It's servant leadership opening the word of God and saying, this is what Jesus said. Remember, that's it. Now, how we're going to land this right now. How did Paul land? As I was writing, I thought, how do, we even, how do I land this? And then I looked at verse 36, and I thought, this is what we need. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Redeemer, I'm not a mind reader, but I'm going to suspect, I'm going to imagine that every elder in this room right now feels about this big. Right? Because, you know, who are we? Truly, like, we're just sheep. We're just sheep with you. It's not like we're another caliber of sheep. The Bible doesn't say that we are. We're just sheep. The Holy Spirit grabbed a couple sheep and said, this is your responsibility. But who is sufficient for these things? I would assure you that if you were to talk to any, if talk to your elder, talk to any of us, we would all say, I don't know how I can do this. Like, I don't know if I can do this. And so I want to just point to what Paul did here. Paul does, he puts up a high bar, and I want you to notice he doesn't apologize for making the bar high. Like the, this, the bar is high. This is a weighty responsibility. and I'm not going to soften it for you. This is huge. You know why it's huge? Because God loves his church. He loves these people. Paid for them with his own blood. And the world doesn't need any more scandals of a church falling apart because an elder was sleeping with his secretary behind the scenes. No more of that. And the church, we don't need any more scandals of a church domineering over his people and manipulating them and having people walk away from the faith altogether. No more of that. We need churches that are led by under shepherds who look to Jesus and follow his example. So here's the bar, brothers, and he doesn't lower it. But after setting the bar, he lowers himself down, and he comes alongside these elders who are probably wondering, like, how will we do this, Paul? He prays for them, and they weep together, and they seek the Lord together, and he leaves them. And so, if I could maybe challenge you, maybe you're here and you've, you've got a bit of a grudge with leaders, and you're hearing this, and there's a little part of you that says, "Yeah, hear that, elders, you don't measure up. This isn't you." If that, just, if, mute that in your heart, and instead, could I just encourage you to transpose that with, by, with the help of the Holy Spirit through the gospel to a place where you look at the men who are who are willingly taking this responsibility on themselves in this congregation, look on them with mercy and pray for them. Pray for us. We need, we need God's help to do this and we need your prayers to do this. And again, we're, we want to be givers, not takers. So I'm not saying woe is us. The bar is high as it should be. God loves you. He loves this church. He loves these people fresh out of the waters coming into this new life and they need to be led well. So the bar is high, but we need all the help we can get. So please pray for your elders. If you're visiting from another church, go home and pray for your elders. Encourage them. And by God's grace, we seek to be faithful here where we are and I'm thankful that it's not dependent upon us but God's word says that leaders are one of the tools he's put in place so we seek him he's wise and uh, we need his help to that end let's pray Heavenly Father I thank you so much for the opportunity to be together today uh, Lord I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to see the gospel visibly displayed before our eyes new life new life God, an old person buried with Christ, a new person raising again with him, with a new heart and new desires. Lord, and I just, I'm so thankful for that. God, I'm thankful that that is the way in. There is nobody who has ever come to you who didn't need to first pass through that place of of surrendering our heart, surrendering our sin, laying hold of Christ in faith. This is the way. And so, Lord, we come to you today and we're on equal footing. Um, Thank you that the elders are not superior to those who are not elders. Lord, we're, we're all just people who have been bought by the blood of Christ and redeemed and brought into this family of God. With that said, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church. I pray that we'd be led well. Lord, I pray for these men who are in this position now and I pray for those that you will raise up in the future. Lord, I pray that we would lead in such a way that you'd be pleased. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be gentle and firm and to open your word and to tell the truth, even when it hurts. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us to resemble Jesus as best as we can. And Lord, I pray for your church. I just pray that you would, as, as I've alluded to wounds from the past, Lord, I imagine that there are gonna be some people, even right now or as they go home, who are gonna be reliving lots of just really painful hurts from the past when this wasn't lived out well. And God, we just grieve that that happens in this broken world. And Lord, I pray that you would put a protection, put a guard around the hearts of your people. And Lord, uh, lead your church, lead them. We need you, uh, every hour we need you, God. So we ask for your help and we ask for it in faith, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?